Praise the Lord for what he's doing in so many different ways and in so many different places. Amen? God is just working. Okay, we'll get to that in just a minute. If you will, turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Now, we had actually studied Romans chapter 14 a little bit uh, a couple, two or three weeks ago, talking about um, the freedom and, and Christian conscience and um, those that would have a strong faith and may have freedoms to do particular things or certain things that other believers, it's talking about believers, do not have. And so Paul kind of makes these two categories of those who are stronger and those who are weaker. Those who are stronger being kind of freed up in this new covenant sense that they're no longer bound by these other things that might hold them down, whatever those other things might be. And those who are weaker still seeing that they are bound to this uh, restriction or that restriction or whatever it might be in order to uh, be assured of their relationship with God. Uh, he moves from 14 into 15, and if you remember 14 was talking about we do not take advantage of the freedoms and the faith that we have, the stronger faith that we have, the, um, the, the lack of boundaries that's in the new covenant as being completely filled in Christ, that we do not take advantage of those freedoms if that would mean that we compromise our brothers who are of weaker faith, meaning that if you have a brother or a sister who feel a certain way in their conscience about their faith, that they have these regulations on them, that we would not use our freedom to cause them to stumble, whether it be to cause them to do those things that they do not feel they have the freedom to do, or whether it would be to cause them to look negatively on us because we're enjoying our freedoms and they think that the freedoms that we're enjoying are wrong. Is, are you tracking with that so far? Does that make sense? So we move out of this talk about uh, strong and weak faith or lives and this, uh, this worry or concern or be better put this way, this prioritizing of your brother or your sister's faith in life over the freedoms that you may or may not have. That we love them and we prioritize them and our, our relationship with them and their relationship with God. We prioritize that over our freedoms that we may or may not have. Okay, So basically, as basically as we can put it, is that we're not to be self-seeking. That, yeah, you may have the freedom to do that thing, but you are not to please yourself, you are not to seek pleasure for yourself over loving and being considerate of your brother and sister. Okay, it's just humility is all it is, all right? We have this example in Christ, and when he moves from Romans chapter 14 to Romans chapter 15, he's going to continue that conversation, but expound on it and open it up and unpack it a little bit more, and he's going to show us why that's the case. Not just that Christ is our example, but he's going to go a little bit further back than that, way farther back than that, and he's going to show us that we have these instructions and we have had these instructions 
for a really long time, namely in the Old Testament, and I would say even before that. So we're going to look at that today in Romans chapter 15. If I had to put a title, I don't always title my messages, we just open up and, and read the Bible, but today's message should be, or I would call it, just basically and as simply as I know, instructions for living. Instructions for living. And this comes, I get this right out of the text in Romans chapter 15, instructions for living. And this is instructions for living everyday life in a group of other people. Because now, living is fine. You know, living is not that big of a deal. We just live. It's when you throw other nut jobs into the equation that it makes living difficult. So if everybody would just leave me alone, then I would be fine. But it's when I am around all of you people that things tend to not be fine. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, who in here thinks I'm fine, all these other people are crazy? <laughs> you admit it even. <laughs> so the, the, the title today would be Instructions for Living, maybe Instructions for Living with Other Nut Jobs. Okay, we can say it that way. Let's pray before we get in. Uh, to the message. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. It's so rich and so helpful and so wonderful. It's so deep and so wide, Lord. I pray that we would not go so deep as to not understand, but that we would not stay so shallow that we can't drench our whole bodies in your word. Lord God, would you take us to just the perfect place and unpack it in just the right way so that, not, not so that we would be smarter or that we would be uh, able to um, spit out these theological terms and all this, but that we would see how you intended for us to live our lives, how you intend for us to interact with you, how you intend for us to interact with one another, and why we should do the things that you've called us to do, namely for your glory, to lift you up, to magnify and to mirror Christ so that the whole world might see just how good and how rich in mercy you are. You are wonderful, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory. Be with us today as we get into your holy and living word, uh, the word of the living God. It is Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, stand for the reading and the hearing of God's word. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, I, I wanted to bring this out here just because um, I wanted to give you a visual to really grab hold of what I'm trying to, to unpack today in the Scripture and what I believe the, 
the scripture here is teaching us and, and what we should be holding on to. So I, I, uh, I was listening to some sermons and some, uh, some classes this week, uh, and, and this guy made this statement, and I thought it was so very good. I shared it on Facebook. I didn't quote him because I couldn't remember it the exact way that he said it, but I give him credit. It was, a, it was a class on the book of Hebrews by Michael Kruger. And for those of you who enjoy theology and you enjoy classes, I would really, really, really highly recommend the RTS app. On I know it's on iPhone. I'm sure it's on uh, Android, too. It's Reformed Theological Seminary. They put tons of their classes online for free. And you can actually listen to the class as he's teaching. They just record it and put it on there. So anyway, that's free, no extra charge. And he said this. He said, you know, lots of preaching, and I paraphrase. He said, lots of teaching in our churches today, especially in the West, but all over the world, they employ a technique that is 90% application and 10% doctrine uh, and it leaves something wanting. In other words, it's, uh, it, it can be described this way, that if you've got 30 minutes worth of preaching, which we know we don't have that here, it's just what he used, don't get excited. <laughs> he said you would have 25 minutes of application and 5 minutes of doctrine. And he said, namely, he said more, uh, what he thought was better uh, and, and more beneficial to the people, would, if you're going to do it that way, is to do 25 minutes of doctrine and 5 minutes of application. Now, you might split that up here or there different ways. I will say this, and, and he goes on to say this, and I agree with him, is that all application with little to no doctrine leaves you with ideas on what you should do, but not why you should do it or how you should do it. When we preach the doctrine, the doctrine is where the application comes from. And it gives you the tools. If you have to choose one or the other, a good balance I think is healthy. But if you have to choose one or the other, and I think it's better, that you would preach doctrine with a little application at the end. So why? So that from the doctrine, you have now the tools to draw all of the application from that you could apply to your life. Part of the problem is, is that we in the West have become, and, and maybe, you know, anywhere, everywhere, have become super lazy Christians. You see, we have this idea, tell me I'm wrong. You've done it for sure before, you may be doing it right now, or I guarantee you know somebody who does it, is that we're not believers in Jesus Christ that that viciously and violently pursue after the Lord and study the scripture and meditate and memorize and pray seeking God asking the spirit to enlighten us to the truths of the word of the living God staying up late at night to get into the word getting up early in the morning to study God's word sitting down with our children talking over God's word and and making sure that every aspect of our life is undergirded and founded on the word of the living God no that's not the norm now praise God I think some of you do that I think some of you do that but what's the norm the norm is, is that oh yeah I'm a Christian I go to church on Sundays and the greatest depth of your theological pursuit or your biblical pursuit is coming in here and sitting and listening to me for an hour on Sunday and that's it sting much so what have we done? We've become baby Christians needing to be spoon-fed. And we can't chew theological meat. And so we don't do more than that. So what do we need? We need 
all application because we don't have the jaws and the teeth to chew up the doctrinal meat if it was to come that way. And that's why I've been criticized a lot because of the way that I preach. And I was told before we ever planted this church, and i got to move on, is that it will never work. They told me it would never work. I sat down with a church planner, and he had a very successful church, lots of people at that church. I told him what I wanted to do. I wanted to go through books of the Bible. I wanted to preach, the when we, even when we do topical, we want to use the Bible, go verse by verse by verse. I want to teach theology. I want to teach doctrine. He said it will never work. They don't speak that language. And my wife and I, after that meeting with that church planner, looked at each other like, well, how are they ever supposed to learn? How are they ever to get to that? Okay, well, they don't right now. Okay, they don't. But how are they ever going to if we don't do that and push them and introduce new words, introduce new ideas? I mean, your kindergartner's not reading Shakespeare. They had to start with the picture books, right? Some of you guys are still reading picture books. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the text here and let's see, uh, see what we got and unpack it. And let's, let's get into some doctrine today. I hope today will be a very practical day. Lots of application. I want lots of application. But I hope that we can see the doctrines that that application is built on so that you'll, one, trust it, and two, be able to dig some more out for yourself later when you get into the Word. And, and hopefully you'll go home and get into the Word. Okay, so coming out of 14, I already gave you a little introduction on 14, talking about strong faith and weak faith and strong believers and weak believers and the obligation to... to to be underneath rules and all these types of things. Verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So right out of the gate, we see here that Paul is setting himself in the group of what? The weak or the strong? The strong. He says, we who are strong. And so that's why we would say that the strong category seem to be those who are not bound up in laws and rituals. And he doesn't, again, it, this doesn't mean that it's, that it's evil to partake of, of following these, these things and uh, trying to uh, make sure that you're living according to these standards and all this type of stuff. What, basically what he's saying here is that they're not, to, they're not progressed to that point where they see that these things aren't what they seem to be. That Christ is all, that Christ fulfills all. There is no longer an obligation to make sure that you are doing these things so that God would, you would be pleased in God or so that you would fulfill some type of, of requirement. That Christ is the complete requirement and everything that you need. That they're still going back a little, even though they have come to faith in Christ. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So, here Now, some of the translations that I was reading as I was studying for this, this sermon, they have here that those who are strong should, uh, that they should bear the failings of the weak. But as one commentator pointed out, should does not carry the weight uh, that needed to be carried here. This is an ought and not a should. In other words, it's not a recommendation. It's not a good idea. It's not something that might be better if you did it than if you didn't do it. This is an ought. It's a command. You are obligated. And in the ESV, the rendition would be from the original would be ought. I think the ESV has it right in its translation. The ESV says, we who are strong have an obligation 
to bear. That really carries that word right there and shows us the, the power behind that. So in other words, just because you're free to do something doesn't mean that you can do it. Paul says it this way, I'm free to do all things, but not all things are beneficial, right? So you have a, a what? An obligation. You are bound by the word of the living God to bear your, your brother's weaknesses and their failures. Yes, you see, this is an obligation. This is a command that those of you who are stronger in your faith, those of you who have a closer relationship with Christ and you are not weighed down by so many things and you are running in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, let's put it this way, you are commanded, you are obligated to slow down and help your brother who's back here tripping over his own feet. So many of us, are, we get in Christ and we find freedom in Christ and we just take off running. Forgetting that we're leaving some others behind us that have tripped up and they've fallen. And oftentimes it's, it's put under this ruse, it's put under this heading, if you will, of, well, I don't, want to, I, I don't want to hinder my faith. I don't want to hinder my walk. I, I, don't want, I want to enjoy all of Christ. I want to take, part, I want to take uh, part in and take advantage of every freedom that I've got. I don't want to do damage to my relationship by Christ but slowing, by slowing down and helping this person up. But the problem is, is that your relationship with, in Christ is gauged by and evidenced on how you slow down and help this person up. How we interact with our brothers and sisters is the biggest litmus test of our faith. Jesus is the one that said, by this you will know that you if you love one another. And Jesus also says, as I have loved you, also love one another. So this is this, uh, this obligatory, this command here that you are to bear uh, with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So Paul, who's writing this, writes similarly in Galatians chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, he says, bear, uh, bear your brother's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. And he goes on to give a warning, he says, be careful not to, th not to think you're something when you're nothing, lest you be self-deceived. So, you know, you have this idea of, oh, I'm something in Christ. I am, I am in Christ. I am a, a, this great believer. And you're, you're not bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters around you, but you have your chest poked out, your head up, and you've just forgotten about them. They've fallen down. They're hurting. They're, they're wanting. They're, they have needs. They, they're struggling. But you, in all your great faith, are looking, to, oh, and, and God's like, turn around, you idiot, and help your brother to, to bear the... So this is the fulfillment of the law. So you see that it's not this... We can't just bypass it, right? We can't just run past it. He devotes two, nearly two whole chapters on making sure that you are not using your freedoms in such a way that it would hinder your brother or your sister, but that you would set those things to the side if it would mean that they could be built up or brought near or you would have a relationship. And let's do a little application right here. Okay, so here we're talking theological issues, right? We're talking theology. Here he's, he's discussing these things with Jews and he's talking about 
food laws. He's also got in the mix over here uh, pagan idolaters who are sacrificing foods to false gods. And he's like, what can I eat? What can I not eat? What, you know, what days and festivals and all. So these are theological things. But to those people, were these theological, big theological things? They were, they were theological things. But what else were they? Everyday routine. Everyday routine. The, these, the Jews or the pagans or everybody he's talking to, they were doing these things because of beliefs that they held. So they were theological in nature. But was it just theological or were these the things that they were doing every day? I mean, they were actually putting food in their mouth. That was part of the issue. They were drinking drink. That was part of the issue. They were observing certain days. That was part of the issue. This was everyday things, right? Some had freedoms to eat and drink. Some did not have freedom to eat and drink. He's like, look, wherever you are on the eating and the drinking, let's talk about that. Let's get into the word of God. Let's talk about these things. Let's see, what, see what's what. But, but remember this. Until we get it all sorted out, or even if we don't get it all sorted out, you make sure that your unity is number one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't set these things above loving your brother where he is, right? So how would, how would we, so I would imagine that most of you, you know, aren't arguing over what types of food. Some, some of you might, but most of you would. What, let's, let's do drink, though, because that is still an issue. And I've talked to you about this several times. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Some of you have the freedom to drink alcohol from time to time. Now, that might be a big shock to some of you that I would say that some of you have the freedom to do that. But nowhere does the Bible command thou shalt not drink alcohol. As a matter of fact, Psalm 104.14 says, God gave wine to make man's heart glad. Some of you are like, hey, man, brother. <laughs> the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over again does what? condemns drunkenness so it's not the alcohol that's the issue it's the overconsumption and the abuse and it's that way and some people they get real touchy on that subject but for whatever reason maybe alcohol has been you know something in in their realm and in their lives has been destructive and i get that but the bible says the exact same thing about food about sex about sleep about work about money you name it Every, every good gift comes down from above. But when those good gifts are twisted, it takes good things like alcohol. And listen, that's Psalm 104.14. Yeah, I mean, God gave that as a gift. Just, and in that same psalm, just, just so you know, it talks about food for the belly. God gave sex. What happens when sex is done outside of God's intended purpose? Pornography, adultery. All these wicked things. What about sleep? G g sleep is a great, wonderful thing. What is it when it's misused? Laziness. What about food? Nobody ever preaches on this because half y'all are bad sinners, right? <laughs> right? I've been there, brother. Gluttony is probably the most accepted sin. So good food is good and wonderful and right. It's a gift. What happens when you misuse it? gluttony obesity bad health right i see some of y'all doing like this don't preach on that brother we're gonna have to find us a baptist church this is a baptist church my wife gets on to me every time i say that we are that's why i pick on the baptist because we are baptist okay so we see that that all of these things are they can be good they can be bad at the end of the day we do not use our freedom so we we use this as as a situation, and Dakota and I have freely open conversation about this, so I know he won't care. 
Dakotas does not have the freedom to drink alcohol. He just don't. It's been uh, a thorn in his side. He knows he cannot partake of that. He has weakness in that area. It's acknowledged by him. And so what does he do? He abstains. Now, I don't have that same weakness as of now. Glory to God, no strength of my own. If I want to have a beer, I can have a beer, and I cannot have another one for a year and a half. Don't bother me one bit. If he has one, he has five, you know, 5,000 or so. <laughs> and I'm over at his house about to punch him in the face, right? <laughs> now, do you think that you could get me to drink a beer in front of Dakota Hester? Absolutely not. I would not think about it. You could beat me to a bloody pulp. I would not drink a beer in front of that man. Why? Because even though I have the, the freedom to do that, I would never tempt my brother to do that. Nor would I invite him somewhere where it was going to be. Nor if I did invite him there, if I found out, I would take him out of there. Why? Because I'm concerned about my brother. He doesn't have that freedom. Now, God could grant him that freedom one day. Don't know that he ever will. He has freedoms that I don't have. I have weaknesses that he doesn't have. Somewhere, some places I'm weak and he's strong. Some places I'm strong and he's weak. You know what? That's life. That's reality. Right? We, we unify in Christ, setting aside any freedoms. that Now, I don't really care about alcohol, so it's not a big deal for me to not drink around Dakota. I probably wouldn't drink around him ever anyway. I don't hardly ever drink. But other things may be more part of your daily life that you may have to sacrifice when you're around a brother or sister. The Bible, at the end of the day, practical application, the Bible says, set it down, do away with it, get rid of it, love your brother more than that thing. Love your sister more than that thing. Now, <clears throat> I could stop preaching right there because I'm going to tell you right now, how, how much progress, how much power do you think the church would have or make? How much of an advancement would the church be able to make if every individual in this, in this room, myself included, would set aside those things we think we have a right to if they caused our brother or sister to stumble in the least let's take this to another level i didn't plan on doing this but i feel like the lord's pricking me so i'm gonna run with it take it to the marriage man this might i might start bleeding because god's about to punch me right in the mouth right <laughs> what if i just started bleeding out of my nose right now <laughs> i have had some dry allergies what if you husbands in the room what if you wives in the room sit down and took stock of how many arguments you get in because you are demanding the right to do something that your wife or your husband does not have the freedom and it bothers them that you do it? How many arguments spring up out of that? Your wife thinks she has the freedom to spend all the money and fill up the entire porch with Amazon packages. <laughs> and the husband says, this is wrong. I will be glad, baby doll, to be the weak one in faith if you will bear my burdens and free me from these packages. No, how many of our arguments and how much better would our lives be if we would set aside the things we think we have a right to, to minister to the 
desires and the needs and the weaknesses or whatever it might be of our spouse. That you see how this humility, wouldn't it change everything? Wouldn't it? You wouldn't even hardly argue. I mean, what would you argue over? Who glorifies God better? <laughs> right? I mean, this, this is so very practical. We're one verse in. What are we going to do? Okay, so let's move on a little bit. So I, I do want to make a big deal out of that because I think that we look past each other a lot of the times and it's a source of many problems. Slow down a little bit. Consider your brother. Love him. Now, let's move on, though, because it says, let each, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So don't look to your own needs. Look to your neighbor's needs. And this is just flowing right in the rhythm of this. Put that, put that in with you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your son, you and your friend, you and your coworker, whatever. What if we set our friends, our wives, our brother, sister, mother, father, whatever, what if we set their needs above our very own and we said, I'm going to live my life in such a way that would glorify Christ and meet all of your needs. Goodness gracious, the world would just float. If everybody would do that, because see, the, the key is, stand up, Dustin. The key is this is two ways. We're going to see this in just a minute because he was talking one way in verse, uh, chapter 14, uh, talking to the strong. But he's going to say here in just a minute that both the strong and the weak are to bend and to make sure that they are looking after each other. So, okay, Dustin, come stand right here. Here's the, here's the case. If this truth is truth in general, face me. If this truth is truth in general, and it's true, it's transcendental truth, okay? That means it's true for everybody. It stands outside of us. This is just true. That, that uh, bending and uh, being humble, not looking to your own selfish ambitions is the way God designed it and the way God intends it. And he commands those who submit themselves to Christ, at least, if you are under the law of Christ, if you are in Christ and you are commanded and obligated to do this, if it, is, if it is a truth for everyone, it's objective truth, then that means is that I would live my life in such a way that I would look at my brother and not thinking about my own needs, but I would look and I would say, how can I be a blessing to Dustin today? Now, why do we not do that? Because we're too concerned with our own blessing. That's what selfishness is, right? This is very practical, right? I'm, I'm not thinking about Dustin's well-being because I'm too concerned about my well-being and my blessing. And so I can't look and say, how can I bless Dustin today? Because I'm too busy thinking about how can I get blessed today? And if I'm too, I'm too busy thinking about how I can get blessed today, what that does to me is it causes me to try to figure out how I can manipulate Dustin into blessing me. How can I get blessed by Dustin today? I know. I can mask my manipulation of him blessing me as me blessing him, but my, really my motive is, is to get him to bless me by pretending to bless him. <laughs> Did you catch that? Deoxyribonucleic acid. <laughs> but here, here's the truth, though. If we would all live according to the, the commands of God, according to the Scripture, we're going to see that here in just a second, is that I would be so busy trying to bless my brother I wouldn't have to worry about it. Why? Because when we're all living according to God's code, he would be concerned and busy what? Trying to figure out how to bless me. And so I rob myself of my own blessing by leading him astray, by trying to manipulate him to bless me. And how he's mad, he ain't going to bless me neither, so neither one of us are blessed. <laughs> but if I bless him, 
then not only am I blessing him and not looking for anything in return. I'm not telling you to do this so that that's that's manipulative. I'm saying that if we're both have our eyes on Christ and we're looking to Christ and Christ has blessed us beyond measure without looking for anything in return. Right. There was nothing that we could offer him. He is not served by hands as if he needed anything. We are looking to Christ and we are blessing each other as Christ has blessed us. Then I'm not looking for anything in return and I bless him and he blesses me. And that's a blessing to God. And this is how, thank you, brother. And this is how we harmonious, harmoniously live in tune with Christ and in tune with one another. And this would just blow the roof off of your households, of our communities, of all of these different things, right? I promise it'll get better. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So what's this built on then? What's this built on? So he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please, please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So what this is built on is Christ as the example for how we are to live. Now, you've heard this. Here's a term for you. It's a theological term. Christus exemplar is, is this phraseology that just means that Christ is our example. But we can't stop there because not only is Christ our example, some, this, uh, this outside uh, reality that we look at and we say, we say, okay, this is what Christ has done or this is who Christ is and I need to be like that. Okay, so that would be an example. Okay, that we're looking at this thing, person, whatever, this reality that's not us, it's outside of us and we say, I need to be like that. That's an example. But not only is Christ the example, but he is the foundational victor. So you have Christus exemplar and Christus victor, that Christ is the victor. In other words, Christ is the one that we are to look at and say, hmm, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. But Christ is also the one that has been victorious over those things that would hold you back and keep you from being like him. So not only is Christ the example, but Christ is the foundation and the possibility. He is the way. He is, he is the, the reality that causes and propels and compels and molds you to be like him. Does that make sense to you? So as we look to Christ and as we have faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms us and starts conforming us to the image of Christ. So if you're outside of Christ, you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't be like Christ. But if you have Christ dwelling inside of you, you can't help but to be like Christ. Does that make sense? So it begins in faith. But here I want to bring this out here. It says, so it brings out Christ as the example and I think, and you say, well, you just read the victor part in there. Well, no, I don't think I did. I want to show you how. Now, I did, I did pull this together with a few other verses and just, I, I will admit that this, as I'm reading this, this is what's coming to my mind, okay? It says here, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, what is he doing there? And how did I get to this Christ as the foundational now we know that we can build that from other texts 
But is that actually intended in this text? And I want to be fair to that, right? I don't want to pull any verses out of context. But I think that that is here, and I'll show you why. At the first of the year, I'm going to start a, a study going through the book of Hebrews, which I've been studying through the book of Hebrews in a, in a more in-depth way. And I want to tell you, it is absolutely supernaturally phenomenal. I can't wait to get to that. But some of this is, is coming out of my study in Hebrews 2 and some reading that I've been doing there. Watch what happens here. So he's going to put, set forth Christ as the example that we would look to, right? But look how he does it. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, where does that come from? In your Bible, it's in quotation marks. It's in quotation marks on the screen here. Well, that actually comes from Psalm 69, verse 9. The author of uh, Romans, Paul, is telling, is, is actually quoting Jesus, quoting Psalms. Okay, namely Psalm 69.9. And Jesus is the one who said, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The odd thing is, this is David saying this. So, Paul is quoting Jesus, who's quoting David, who is saying something that in context doesn't seem to really have anything to do with Jesus. Are y'all following what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I see one of you saying no. Okay. Let me, I'm, I want you to get this, so let me back up a second. Here's a question. How do we read the Old Testament in light of who Christ is, what Christ has done, and how the New Testament authors use the Old Testament? How they quote it, how they apply it, how they use it. And because that's a legitimate question here, because the, the Old Testament text here is, is being used. And so what better way for us to understand how to use and employ the Old Testament text than, than looking at how the New Testament authors employed and used text. Okay, so let me back up and talk about that. He quoted, he quoted, he quoted thing. So in Psalm 69, 9, David is speaking there. Let's go to the Psalm right quick. I've got it marked. In Psalm 69.9, this is David, and, and he's singing this psalm, or he's speaking this psalm. And David is the one that says this. Understand, okay, put these things together in your mind. Slow down a little bit. Think about this. When this is originally written in the psalm, in Psalm 69.9, this is not, at least for the hearers and for this context, it's not Jesus talking, right? This is David saying this stuff. And he says... For zeal, and you'll, you'll recognize this too because Jesus quotes this of himself. He says, David says in Psalm 69, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So in this context, David is the one that's saying, Zeal for your house has consumed me. The reproaches of those who reproach you has fell on me. He's saying, I'm feeling the weight of this. I am, I'm the one here. But later on, Jesus in the Gospels, I won't turn there, but Jesus in the Gospel quotes this and says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Jesus is in effect saying, you know what Jesus, I mean, what David said back in Psalm 69.9? Well, that was true for him. I'm not saying that, that that's a lie. But what I'm saying is, is that what he was saying actually foreshadowed and was about me 
Because this is what I would be saying in the grand reality of things. <clears throat> and this is why Jesus can say that he can go back to all of the scriptures and show how all of the scriptures taught about him, about me, he says. He told the Pharisees, I've quoted this many times, you think that you search the scriptures diligently, think that in them you'll find life, but you fail to realize that all these are about me. That's why he can quote Psalm 69.9 as if it was him saying it. Why? Because all of the Old Testament, this is where we're going to get in, I don't have time, but all of the Old Testament is patterned after the heavenly realities, that is, Christ and the Godhead and the Trinity. And the, and the cool thing is, and I'll, and I'll show you this later when we get into the Hebrew study, but all of the Old Testament stories and all of the Old Testament realities, they have their historical contextual meaning, and it's a factual historical account of what actually happened. But all of those things are patterned after heavenly realities as a shadow. They are patterned. And we see that in Hebrews. tells us that. Actually, literally verbatim, speaking of the high priest and all these things, it says, these are a copy and a pattern. These are a copy and a shadow of the things that were to come. So the Old Testament reality was a, a copy of the heavenly reality, but this was just a shadow. It was just a copy. And it pointed forward to the New Testament reality and, the, and this fulfillment of all of these things, which would be the heavenly reality. Now, let's don't get into all that because it's going to get complicated. I'm going to draw that for you at some point down the road. But going back and why I even started this, and I chased a rabbit there, my bad, is that when... Paul is teaching about Christ. He quotes Jesus. He quotes Jesus saying the reproaches of, that fell on you fell on me. He quotes Jesus who was quoting who? David. But was David quoting someone? Who was quoting who? And I would say that David, who is the shadow of Christ, was saying what he said in the greatest way, in anticipation of what Christ would say. And when Paul says that Jesus said, the reproaches of, let me just read it, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, what he's saying is, is that the Old Testament text that says these things was pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. And that Christ is the undergirding reality to everything that we know. Does that make sense? And he goes, he says as much in the next, which is where I get the title from the whole sermon. What time is it? Oh, man. Okay. Verse 4. Push through. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So we get this here. So Paul here is teaching uh, about the way that we interact with one another, the way that we uh, exercise humility, the way that we set aside our selfish desires and those things that... Uh, we hold to so tightly and we prioritize our uh, desires. We prioritize uh, the way that we live our lives in light of who Christ is, what he has taught us in the scriptures, and how it affects those who are around us. So you see, there's like three, at least 
three levels of questions and considerations that we must make before we act. That's not how we normally act, right? Because in America or in Western civilization, you have this idea that it's your way right away, every time, in every way, right? And so we want it how we want it, and we want it now. But the, but the scripture here is taking us to a place to say, hey, listen, before you go after that thing, and, and we'll go ahead and grant that it's something that you're free to enjoy. Before, see, see how tricky this can get, because you say, I want to eat a Big Mac. Perfectly fine. Or I want to eat a piece of bacon. That's fine. You have the freedom to do that. But before you go ahead and eat that piece of bacon, you need to consider a few things. And the average American, at least, would say, what you talking about? If I want bacon, I eat bacon. <laughs> right? If I want to drink a beer, I drink a beer. I don't care what anybody thinks. Tell me I'm wrong. Is that not the average American response? If I want to do A, I'm going to do A. Who's got the right to tell me I ain't going to do A? Right? That's the way we think about it. Ain't nobody going to tell me what I can and cannot do. That's the way we think. Right? Think about how many of you wives have said, well, he ain't going to tell me. Right? <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Right? Or think about how many of you husbands. She thinks she could tell me I ain't going to go hunting. Oh, you do that after she leaves anyway. <laughs> right? How, is that not the American way? Maybe it's the every, every day way, every time way. I don't know, but is that not how we think? Tell me that you don't think like that. At least at times, you're like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? I'm king of this castle, right? But there's this is being layered now with priorities that say, before you even take a sip of wine, before you even take a bite of bacon, or before you do X, Y, Z, before you do anything, even the things you have the right to do, you are to ask these questions. Does it glorify God? Does the scripture teach that it's okay? How are the people that see me doing X, Y, and Z, how are they going to feel about it? That's completely foreign to our thinking. To ask the question, before I do this thing that I have every right in the world to do, what are all these people going to think about me doing it? You hear it all the time. Only God can judge me. <laughs> Listen, when you are in Christ, there are, so, there are so many more things to think about than just what you can and can't do. There's should you and shouldn't you do. Well, this is all pointing to the fact that it was the Scripture. And the Scripture that they're talking about here is not the New Testament. Remember, they don't have all this New Testament yet. They're writing it. And so he's saying the whole Old Testament. And remember, he just quoted Psalm 69.9. He's saying the, the whole Old Testament, all of the Scripture has been given for what? Was it just a historical account? No, it was for our instruction. And Paul is speaking to New Covenant believers here, and he says, all of this scripture that was written was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And here, this is where I'll, I'll end on this. So this is what I brought this out here for because I really wanted you to see this. Because one, these may be new ideas or at least ideas that you haven't spent a ton of, ton of time thinking about, okay? Do you, do you understand where your freedoms and your rights and your... Uh, your deposit, 
the things that are possible for you to do and not be sinning. Have you understood where they fall on the list of priorities and what's the greater priority? Now, I've already talked a good bit about this, but I want to I show you here that there is a, there is a directional call that this, this text lays out that I think would be very helpful if we would think about these things just as we go through normal everyday life, okay? So here's, I'm going to put this up here. And this, somebody uh, run back to my office and get my big black Expo marker. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to call this life right here, okay? I'm going to have to wait till he gets up here because this is not working. I'll read and explain it before we get here. I just want to put it up here so it would be a little bit easier to read. Listen to what it says. For what it, this is verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through. Okay, here's, here's what I want to point out. So basically he says, what was written was written for our instruction that through. That, that right there is what I, I want to use that as a point to show you what comes after so we can see some results, so we can see some ways that this is happening. So when you see the that, that is, that is kind of looking at a goal or result or so that, this is what we want to happen. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Okay? So there are going to come times where you're not really feeling too good about this whole thing. There's going to come attack. There's going to come uh, persecution, whether it's you being tested in your own mind or whatever it might be, and you're going to need to endure. Okay? So... We're just moving along this path of life right here. And we, we're going to have times of struggle and trial, and we're, need, we're going to need to endure. So we'll put endurance here. <clears throat> How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have to endure, right? And, and this could be small, it could be big, it could be whatever. So for those of you who are married, a really good simple illustration is you know, you get to a point where you're tired, you're exhausted, you think your husband's crazy, you're tired of seeing his stupid face, and so you want to be done, right? But you know the Bible teaches you that covenant is forever, there is no back door, so you have to endure, right? And so we endure for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Either way, so we see here that the scriptures are written that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the endurance, and then we have encouragement. Okay, so we have endurance, and this is going to work together. I hope it, I hope it comes to you like I, the Lord showed it to me. I think it, hopefully it'll be good. So we have endurance. Now the endurance comes, we're going to find out in a minute, as a gift from God. Now, but endurance and encouragement and hope are a gift of God. But endurance comes as we are what? Encouraged, right? And, all, and endurance and encouragement come from what? The hope that we have. And they all work together to lead us in the general direction of how we should live our lives. So... Let me, let me kind of tie it all together here, and we're going to finish up. Okay, so the text here says, 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now listen, Paul breaks out into a prayer at this point. And we can really see Paul's heart showing here. And he's just come out of uh, quoting Jesus who was quoting the Old Testament proving that Jesus is the foundational reality that our interaction with one another in humble ways and bearing each other's burdens is 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 able to happen and um, is possible and then he says that all of this scripture not just not just this one or this two but all these scriptures were written for our instruction that through our endurance staying true staying steadfast through the encouragement uh, of the scriptures the scriptures was what's going to provide the encouragement and this is why i'm always telling you you need to be in the word study the word share the word talk to your children about the word that it comes through the scriptures we might have hope now listen to what he prays may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with jesus christ that Together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have the hope here, and what is the hope? He just said it right here. That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have glory of God here. Now, this is the hope that we have. Now, is it just that we would glorify God? No, because the only way that we can glorify God is to be unified in Christ. The only way that we can glorify God is to be unified in Christ. And if we're unified in Christ, then we will be unified with each other. The hope is the unification of all the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of, of God. Okay? Now, why do, I, why do I tell you all of that? It's because some of you think the goal is to get your next paycheck. Some of you think the goal is to get your next high. Some of you think the goal is to finally get a break. Some of you think the goal is fill in the blank. Some of you think the goal is to get what's coming to you and for everybody else to get out of your way. But the goal is actually to be unified in Christ to the degree that we unify together to the glory of God. Now, how does that happen? This is why I want to bring you to the place where you really understand how important it is to be in God's Word. It says... May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that? It's through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. So I had written this out of my office a little bit earlier. But we say that God... gives endurance that comes from God you can't will your way through that that comes from God and he gives endurance 
by the encouragement of hope. Now, God, who is the God of endurance, encouragement, and hope, He gives to you endurance. So you're wondering how you are to how you are to make it through this thing, and how you are to stay married, how you are to love your children, how you are to love a wayward child, fill in the blank, how you are to do this. It, that endurance comes from God. And how does it come? How does the encourage, encouragement, I mean, uh, the endurance come from God? It comes by encouragement. Okay, encouragement, what do you mean encouragement? That it's all going to be perfectly fine in Christ we endure because God is encouraging us that it cannot fail that we have hope in Christ who is our example who has made us one with him and with each other to the glory of God so we know that we can't fail and since we know we can't fail we're encouraged and when since we're encouraged because we cannot fail because Christ is our hope then we endure The Bible says in Colossians 1:27 if you don't believe me that Christ is our hope to them God chose to make known great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And how does all of this come about? You say, well, that's all well and good. But is it just this hour and 15 minute long sermon that I'm supposed to get all of this stuff and, and, and receive all of this knowledge and no, it's that the text says it as clearly as you can. <clears throat> it says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. That's the scripture. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the hope, all of this is built on or taught by. The scripture. It's all one big circle. It's all one, it's all one reality. It's all built together. There's no sporadic parts, random parts here and there that doesn't connect together, that doesn't touch, that doesn't make sense with one another that God has given us the scriptures and God <laughs> so God gives us the scriptures that by the scriptures we might have hope and God through giving us the scriptures brings about endurance because it encourages us from the hope that it teaches and what is Christ in the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Christ is the Logos, that all of Scripture teaches about Christ. It's all about Christ, that God gives endurance through Christ, who the Scriptures are all about. God encourages us 
to keep on fighting by saying, look to Christ who never gave up. The, the, the scripture encourages us and gives us endurance because it points to Christ who cannot fail. He's defeated death, hell, sin, and Satan. He reigns from on high. Even now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He cannot be defeated in Christ. It is Christ that dwells in you. So as we look to Christ, the hope of our glory, who dwells in us, we take heart. We're encouraged. And that, that makes us endure, even when we don't get what we think we should. This is the last. You guys can come on up. You know how you can set aside everything that you have a right to? Is when you have Christ. You know why? Because everything besides Christ is just fluff on the cake. You don't need it. You can have it. You are welcome to it. But you don't have to have it. And since you don't have to have it, you won't fight nobody about it. Now you try to take the food out of my children's mouth, I'm going to fist fight you. And if I've got a gun and you don't, you lose. If you try to take something that I, that I have to have to provide for my family, you, you know, those, th those needs, okay. But the thing is, is that Christ meets every single need that you have in the spiritual realm. You don't need, so in, as far as fulfillment, happiness, joy, contentment, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all, all these things, you don't need anything to fulfill those things. You don't need anything else to fulfill. You don't need anything else, Lynn, to make you joyous. Right? GB, do you need anything else to make you joyous? I mean, some things make you happy. I like things. Right? I like things. I like cake. I like ice cream. I like fast cars. I like dirt bikes. I like to go to the gym. I like to, to go bowling, right? I, I like lots of things. But do I have to have those things to have joy? If you're in Christ, how, how do these martyrs lose everything? Everything. And yet they stand before God. And weep and cry and laugh and joy and shake with, with triumph. It's because Christ is really actually all. I went to a funeral Saturday, yesterday, and, and it was heartbreaking. But they're going to be okay. Why? Because they know Christ. And their daddy, their husband, he knew Christ. And though we weep and it's hard and it's, it's horrible... We're going to be fine. They are going to be fine. Why? Because it really, really, it's not just something we say. He's with Jesus now. It's not just platitudes. It's not just corny, cliche sayings that, that he's walking with Christ. No, it's because Christ really did destroy death. Christ really did make a way for you to be one with him. Christ really is enough. He really, really, really is. And so the next time your husband deprives you of that right or your wife deprives you of that right or you, you really want this thing and you know your brother's there and you know it's going to tear him up one side and down the other, ask yourself a few questions. 
Is this glorifying God? Is this building my brother up? Is this going to bring my sister closer to Christ? Is this going to to push me further away from them? Is this me bearing their burdens? Some of you may really, really, really want to go to that football game or that movie or that event or that concert when your friend just lost a loved one or whatever. You've got the right to go. Heather helps me with this a lot of the times. You've you got the right to go do this thing, but what would be better is to go and be with my friend, to go and be there for the lonely, to go and be there with the hurting, that's not always as fun, but it's what the Bible commands. It's what the Bible commands, and it will be for your benefit in the end. Let's all come and do business with God. As you think about today, just think about where you are. Do you need to do business with God in such a way that you need to repent and maybe cast off some of your selfishness, or maybe you've never been saved before. I don't know. Maybe you're just really thankful that God has done what he's done for you, and you want to come tell him thank you. Just do business with God. Love you guys.